Well, one thing you never ask a missionary is where is he from? <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. My name is Thomas, here with my good friend Daniel, as always. Good evening. And we have a special guest with us that I will be introducing to you in just a short moment here, <clears throat> but we do appreciate you joining us on this episode. We want to start out by thanking our patrons over at patreon.com slash reason together. You're the folks that help keep the lights on at Reason Together. We appreciate you very much for uh, giving your hard-earned dollars towards supporting this venture. So thank you very much. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do that over at patreon.com slash reason together and sign up at one of the three different support levels we have available to you there. Uh, I will tell you this, though, the elite level, which is that's exactly what it's called, elite patron, uh, that level will get you access to the after show bonus content, which happens, you guessed it, after the show. Um, <clears throat> that is behind the paywall, uh, as they call it. So if you'd like to hear the after show content, you've got to go over to patreon.com slash reason together. And I think you'll enjoy that. You'll get a free t-shirt, uh, to help support the podcast that way. You'll get access to the, uh, patron message board where there's often interesting things being asked and said there. Uh, and, uh, like I said, you'll get access to the conversations that we have that are usually not privy to the, the public audience here. Um, of course, if you'd like to just continue listening for free, uh, we appreciate you as well. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> this is a, a fun episode. This is a special episode. We have a guest with us today, uh, and it is uh, Brother Rodney Myers. Uh, and uh, I'm going to not say a whole lot to introduce him. I'm going to sort of let him uh, explain who he is and, and what he does, and then we're going to uh, grill him for a little while. No, I, I mean, we're just going to ask him questions for a little while. All right, without further ado, uh, Brother Rodney Myers, uh, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Well, one thing you never ask a missionary is where is he from? <laughs> there is absolutely no good answer to that, or at least not a short one. Right. So I, I am presently located in my present uh, field of ministry, which is the general director of the Gospel Furthering Fellowship in Myerstown, Pennsylvania. No relation, at least not in the last <laughs> 300 years that I'm aware of. Uh, I have the wonderful privilege of recruiting uh, young missionary candidates, training or mentoring those candidates to prepare them for a life of, of uh, missions mostly in unreached or even underreached locations in the world, some misreached as well. Prior to this uh, position that I took over in January of 2018, my family and I were evangelistic church planters in Tanzania, East Africa for 13 years. Okay, very good. Now, I was honestly just looking up Tanzania to see where that was. <laughs> I, I confess my uh, uh, geographical illiteracy here. Um, Not much better. Yeah, so so in Africa there. Now, a couple of things you said there um, uh, piqued my interest. Uh, you said them intentionally, I think. One was you said underreached, unreached, and misreached. Did your, what, um, your antennas went up with that, Tom? Yeah, so... So I, I heard him talk about this at our church when he was here a little bit ago. Okay. And I, I do want to, I want him to get to that. I want to hear him explain that. Um, Cause I think there's a lot to unpack there, but I think for the sake of listeners who may not already be familiar with what he does, I have a couple of sort of softball precursor questions here. <laughs> okay. Um, just and you can take these in order. Yeah, he's swinging away. Yeah. Uh, you can take these in order. One, what is it that a missions agency does? And second, what makes your missions agency different from some others that might be out there? And, and, I, and, and I think that's fair to maybe talk about some of the differences. So if you could unpack those two things, and I think that second question will probably lead into the answers to Daniel's questions. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I believe so. Um, 
So if you think of the way that a missions agency needs to operate, it ought to operate, it acts as a, a servant ministry to the one organism which Jesus Christ founded and planted in this world, and that is the local New Testament church. Just like uh, our churches take advantage of, uh, of camps for our children or uh, other ministries that, to, to bring their experience, their expertise, uh, and their age to the conversation to help them with whatever aspect of ministry that they would like to have without relinquishing their local church authority over their people, uh, then that falls into the category of, uh, of a mission agency. If you think about it uh, from an Old Testament example of the, um, of the, the uncle or even the, um, we could say the, of Moses, he had uh, his, father-in-law. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And when Moses, who was a God-ordained man in a God-ordained position with the authority and rights from God to lead the children of Israel, but his father-in-law, who had none of those things, no heavenly authority over Moses or even in Israel, saw that Moses was struggling because he was not prepared for the position that he was in. He came and he advised from his experience, from his age, and in doing so, he helped Moses to organize and to regulate his leadership so that he can lead the people of Israel in a God-honoring fashion. And that's all that a mission board does. From a place of age and inexperience, we see missionary candidates who are needing to follow God's will through their local church to hard and hellish uh, areas throughout the world. And they can gather that type of uh, a knowledge and reviewed experience that people like myself have had for many decades uh, in order to help prepare them or to help uh, to help them in their journey while they're there. Right. Um, yes. That, that may be one of the uh, better explanations I've heard for the existence of missions agencies, just you know, just to be honest, uh, because it, it tied a biblical example into it, though, though obviously, uh, you know, it's not a specific one-to-one illustration, but it, it does fit. And it seems, uh, it, it seems like a, a very good explanation of what it is that the missions agencies do. Um, so now a, it, essentially an advisory capacity, right. Uh, helping to equip candidates, uh, to, uh, to go to the field, uh, as through their local yeah. church. Sure. Yeah. So now taking the second part of it, uh, if your missions agency, and uh, if you could just remind our listeners and r- remind, well, it's, it's Gospel Furthering Fellowship, correct? It is. And you okay. can refer to it as GFF for GFF. sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and I'll, I'll be sure to put links to that in the show notes and the description as well. Um, so now if, if GFF is um, in the ministry of assisting uh, and and helping to equip missionaries with information um, so that they aren't surprised <laughs> by things as much as possible. Mm-hmm. If that's really one of the goals, the main goals of GFF, how is it that you accomplish that differently than other missions agencies? Or do you? Yeah, we do. We do it. Uh, we there are things that are uh, similar to other mission agencies, and there's some ways that are different than mission agencies. Probably the most distinguishing f- uh, feature would be how we do it, not what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as what we do is that we 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 speak directly with and to local church and local church pastors 
every September throughout the month of September and many times on into the month of October, especially locally to us. And of course, local for a missionary means within a four and a half hour driving uh, uh, radius. Um, we hold what we call a GFF missionary table talks sessions, which are five uh, one day sessions, usually start at nine and end at two thirty in the afternoon where we provide, uh, GFF provides uh, lunch and drinks and materials. And, and at a host church, we have pastors, mission influencers, and even laymen, depending on the type of table talks that you schedule, uh, come where we cover two main issues every, uh, every time, every year, every season. And that is missionary character issues and missionary care issues. So with the character issues, we've covered issues that are critical issues that undermine a local church's investment in missionaries, whether they come from your own church as a sending agency or from another church as a supporting agency's. Issues that we've covered in the past have been pornography, uh, narcissism, pragmatism, financial accountability. But listen, Brother Fox, this is very interesting. And this is starting to be a bleep on the radar of a lot of churches and pastors, not so much on mission agencies, although maybe one or two that I've heard of. There are more than 200 independent Baptist mission agencies of one stripe or another that I'm aware of. Hmm. Only aware of three that are taking uh, a full-on look and doing something about missionary care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, GFF is certainly one of those uh, agencies. And so the second topic is about missionary care. So let me, uh, let me pause on that for a second. And just reiterate what you just said, if, if, I, if I heard you correctly, because there was a little bit of a lag there. You said you were aware of about 200 or so missions agencies of varying stripes, and you're only aware of three that take up as a regular topic missionary care? So missionary care uh, is one where it recognizes, because you were lagging a little bit there, I'm not sure if I'm going to hit the nail on your question, but missionary care uh, tries to account for the fact that through extensive research not found in independent Baptist circles necessarily, because we're usually uh, um, an hour late and a dollar short to the, to the games as independent <laughs> Baptists, but according to those uh, sources, the number one cited reason for, for missionaries leaving the mission field, which is about 50% of those who arrive on the, on the mission field with the intent to, to stay long term, they cite for themselves uh, a lack of preparedness for the field. And one of the number one reason, uh, ways in which they were not prepared for the field was not being able to deal with the traumatizing events that are always associated with long-term missionary service, mm. especially in hard-to-reach hard to and hard-to-live-in locations. Interesting. Now, um, I've... In the past, I heard a couple missionaries uh, of an older generation, you know, talk about uh, the need for a new breed of missionary. Is that um, is that part of what you're dealing with? Is that people coming in soft um, that they that they are from you know they are millennial or Gen X or whatever, and so they just expect more from life. They're not used to hard things, and is that part of what you're facing or? Beyond that, are there just legitimate difficulties that any person in any age would truly struggle with on the field? It truly is both of those, uh, Brother Fox. If you mm -hmm. think about the, the most uh, the, the, or the hardest substance of metal 
that's available on planet Earth. It's called tungsten. Hmm. Uh, and it is where other metals could take uh, 900, 1200 degrees uh, and they melt. Tungsten outlasts them all. That's why it's used in airplanes and other uh, mm -hmm. very important uh, metals uh, for that. But even tungsten that has the highest level of ability to withstand heat and pressure, it has a breaking point. It has a melting point. There is a temperature that can be passed where it becomes uh, misshapen or damaged. So yes, it's true that we have a lot of tensile strength missionaries that go onto the mission field expecting life to unfold for them. But mm -hmm. also we have many different levels of types of strengths of missionaries from tinsel to tungsten. And there are a kind of traumatic event that, caught, that, that will cause 100% of, of missionaries or someone within that missionary unit, husband, wife, uh, older or younger children, to fold under that traumatizing stress. Of course, we know from, uh, from studies that there are four types of typical human responses to extreme traumatizing events. That would be to freeze, uh, to fold, to fight, or to fawn. And you could have one or all of those happening at any point when missionary families are going through extreme top traumatizing events, which could be something as, as extreme as a terrorist uh, attack on their city uh, oh. or armed robbers breaking into their homes, carjackings, uh, shootings, uh, stabbings, uh, kidnapping of children, uh, abuse of children. Mm -hmm. uh, by, by nationals or anything like that, all the way down to the loss of, and I say down to, and that's not to minimize any, any experience, uh, to the, to the natural loss of, of, of a child, or, uh, it could be, uh, also one main event, or it could be a reoccurring of events over a long, an extended period of time. The illustration by one of my missionary friends in Tanzania is this, if you have a dump truck and he puts a, uh, a 10 ton boulder on that trunk, or if he puts 10,000, uh, 1,000 pound boulders in that truck, even though all of these are, are less in weight, they add up to the same effect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if I'm understanding what you're saying, uh, you're one of very few mission boards that focus on care for the missionary because of traumatic situations, as you're calling them, uh, whether it be physical trauma, psychological trauma, and so on. Um, is it is it possible that out there there are generations of folks in ministry that maybe look at that and, and snub their nose at it, maybe as if that's not necessary or right. if it's right. wimpy or something? How do you answer them um, with a focus like that? Sure. And we get that uh, question quite frequently, Brother Tom, um, especially when we are engaged in table talks where there is a pastor's fellowship or a number of pastors are there. Um, typically, the idea is this, and that is there is a generation of pastors who were told either by their college, their church pastor or their parents that you just need to put your big boy pants on, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, no matter what happens, and keep moving forward. Now, that's not bad advice. It's just that they believe that everyone should respond to uh, trauma in the same way that they've responded to trauma. And maybe they've responded in the best right, possible right. way. Uh, and there are a, new, a numerous different ways to respond. And when you're in a family unit as a missionary family serving, 
in uh, hard to reach and difficult to live in situations, you could have a husband responding differently than the wife, the parents responding differently than the children, and then one child responding differently than the next, whether they are older or younger, whether they are male or female, and then in that variety, whether they tend to naturally respond in their personality as a, as a fighter, as a freezer, uh, or something else. And so pastors uh, will interpret everyone else as needing to respond in the best way that they have responded naturally uh, to theirs. Uh, and it, it's many times where pastors have actually experienced um, uh, trauma in their own life as small children and they have blocked out that type of an emotional response where they have become less uh, responsive to uh, traumatizing events. So uh, many times- So it sounds to me like the problem is uh, cookie cutter advice, really. You know, it may be good advice to say, put your big boy pants on, but that we can't give advice as cookie cutter advice. Am I right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that is also exposing the problem uh, of the relationship uh, gap between a sending church and her pastor and the missionaries who are serving in very different circumstances in a foreign Mm -hmm. language, in a foreign land, in a foreign culture than what their home church pastor has experienced in his life. And so that's where a, a mission board with a missionary care director and missionaries who have served long-term in, in difficult, hard, and hellish places has that age and experience and education that is lacking uh, on, on the sending church pastor side. Now, don't tell the sending church pastor he's lacking in anything because because there are things that we know. There are things that we know that we don't know, but then there are things that we don't know that we don't know. And so you start telling a, a sending church pastor that there is an ineptitude to his relationship in education and experience to his missionary who is now serving on the mission field, that a mission care director at a mission agency is better equipped to serve him with, it's a little bit difficult for him to to stomach. Well, and it would be harder to stomach if it was uh, basically, Pastor, this is my role and this is a problem I always have to take care of. But when you step in and say, let me teach you and grow you and give you my experience uh, so that you can have a better relationship with your missionary. To me, that's great. I'm all in on on education. Um, And so, you know, your approach to to educating like this is fantastic. My um, uh, question is then, is part of your uh, education not only of churches, but even of the missionary families themselves in identifying in each other how they're dealing with difficult circumstances and how to help each other? Yes, we absolutely do. And we have a missionary care director that's been with GFF now for the last two years. His name is Chris Lapino. him and his wife, Nancy. They regularly uh, meet with missionaries either prior to going to the field, while they're serving on the field, when they come home on on furlough or at the end of their missionary career where they're coming off the field for what we call a mm. personal mm. debriefing time. So in, in mission circles, mm. especially in mission agencies, we have three different types of debriefings. We have a professional debriefing. How's the work going? Do you need to reevaluate your your goals, your plans, uh, things like that. Because as missionaries go to the field, we have a forward-thinking goal for the first term, for the first 10 years, 
and for 50 years, which goes beyond what our time is going to be spent on the field. And we've got to be activating that. Now, we need a professional debriefing to help regulate how things are going and how things need to be reevaluated. But Brother Chris is focused on a personal debriefing uh, where he can come right to them with the idea of, now, we have spoken to you before going to the field about a lot of the nuances of things that you would tend to experience. There is, um, there is the adjustment to the mission field that causes stress, but then there are, uh, there are actual traumatizing events that has an effect on missionary family units and individuals and especially how that they then react to each other. And so there is a debriefing process that he helps walk them through. And in doing so, they get to tell their story. And I know that these are, these are uh, kind of difficult terms to bring in, but I'm going to use them because they are abused in a lot of political surface and and uh, uh, and in the political realm and in the leftist realm and, and things like this, but they're safe places for safe conversations in order to get a safe response. So we're not catering as in enabling uh, victimhood in missionaries, but many times when a missionary needs to talk to someone, whether they recognize that need or not, uh, they are afraid to reach out to the wrong person because that person has mm, the yeah. ability to take the confidential information that they have just learned from that missionary and either blow it off, which makes the missionary feel ashamed and worse, or blow it out of proportion and take the ministry away from the missionary, uh, the decision about what to do comes out of his hands, and now he finds himself off of the field because a pastor or someone else who has never gone through those experiences before is overreacting to them, thinking that he knows best when he doesn't, or they betray the confidence of the missionary by sharing Mm -hmm. information that was shared with them with someone else. And so that's why a personal debriefing is left in the hands of our missionary care director, because he is not wearing the white shirt and tie in the office uh, like the general director is. Uh, I, have a, I have a position where he may feel uncomfortable or threatened with the way that I would receive his confidential information as opposed to a missionary mm -hmm. care director. So, so, so in a sense, this, this role is to kind of help disarm the concerns of the missionary or in some way relieve any concerns that they have that their information won't be handled discreetly or that they'll be in some way. Um, and, and again, here's another overused word shamed uh, for needing counsel on something. Um, am I reading you right? Yeah, Brother Tom, you are spot on with that uh, because the, it gives the missionaries the opportunity to tell their story. They have experienced this, and this is how they handled it. This is how they responded to it. This is how their spouse responded to them. This is how their children responded to them. And you're able to share those things in a way that makes you vulnerable, makes your spouse vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, and in doing so, the missionary care director, like Brother Chris and Nancy with GFF, um, it does not take away from the missionary their responsibility in order to uh, to continue to uh, be overseers of their own ministry that God has put into their hands. Now, if there is something that is yeah. unethical that has happened that's crossed the line, 
You're talking about uh, physical, mental, sexual abuse, uh, or uh, or extramarital affair, or anything of that nature. Then the missionaries have forfeited their their right to the privacy of that information, and so we understand that, and they understand right. that as well. However, the majority of these issues that cause long-term debilitating stress in missionaries so that they cannot continue effectively on the field, and most likely they are going to be forced to return from the field or else their marriage is going to go in the garbage or their children are going to go off the rails. And so missionaries, in order to escape the shame of failure on the field, which was really a failure on the side of the home church, the sending church, or supporting agencies, is that they will maximize a minimal excuse for needing to come home, such as, and this is not to minimize these, these, these reasons, but they get what I'm saying. They maximize what would normally be a, a more minimal reason for t- returning home. My wife's health, mm-hmm. my parents' uh, uh, aging uh, situation that they are in, uh, undersupported, or or things like or things like that, and that it, are common enough reasons that uh, supporting churches here that they say, oh, yeah, you know that makes sense. You know the state of our churches these days, or what can you what can you do when your health is in is in jeopardy? Or well, we we all understand, you know, when our when our parents hit seventy five, eighty years old, and we've got to be responsible. And so they have a way yeah. out of their difficult situation without dealing or knowing how to deal with those with that stress. Uh, and so mm-hmm. they just come home and then they relocate in mission in 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 ministries that are less stressful because they're off of the field. Or they leave the ministry altogether and go into uh, secular work, uh, and they they recover or they. So, if I'm understanding you right, um, you're you're essentially saying that uh, missionaries often, and and maybe it's partly understandable, look for a non-embarrassing reason to come off of the field. Because to some degree, they've overstressed on an issue that's been, in in some cases, a legitimate trauma for them. And to at least some degree, there's some responsibility laid at the feet of missions agencies, sending pastors, and so on, for not really emphasizing the care of the missionary. That's true. Our, Our missionary care director, Brother Chris, often puts it this way. Uh, we have terms that we use for a missionary that doesn't make it on the field. We call them John Marks. We call them Demases. But we don't have a term for the home mission uh, mission supporters, uh, uh, sending churches, supporting churches, or mission agencies that failed the missionary. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um. As I'm listening to some of those issues, I feel like we would see those stateside as well, say the abuse of a child uh, or the loss of a child or something like that. In what ways does missionary service magnify the trauma of those things? Is it that they are is the aloneness? Is it um, that they're living in a glass house? Is it the expectations of ministry? In what ways are there are those traumas, which can be found here too, magnified in their case and needing a special care so or are they that that is a larger question than i'm that i'm going to be able to answer in okay. a minimal amount of time so i'll just uh throw a couple of things out there fair to enough you. uh one would be what you've already mentioned and that is not just the the loneliness but the isolationness of of being in a place in ministry that is cut off from the rest of the world um, and the reason why I focus on that is because it appears in missionary periodicals, mission books written by missionaries, and our experience, my experience personally, 
is that when you leave for a, for a foreign field to serve in, then the home or your passport country that you leave, the United States, um, is like a different world that continues to spin without you. You have stepped on a different planet that spins at a different mm-hmm. rotation and in a different environment than the world you left. And so there is a disconnect between people in America and then the real life experiences of missionaries on the field that is that is severed. And so that that is one thing. Uh, another thing is is the many times validated fears uh, that missionaries have when relying on uh, untrustworthy emergency resources that are available to them in the countries wherein they serve, whether that be walk-in clinics uh, in the village or in mm-hmm. the city, whether they are hospitals, doctors, nurses, uh, or or anything along that lines. You're going to have varying labels uh, uh levels of competency and experience and also a fear on the side of the uh of those who who are doctors and nurses who are nationals in those field when working with someone who doesn't speak their language and they they oftentimes seeing them as a different species or they don't see that they are different and they treat them in a way that they would treat their own tribe or their own people, and there's a and they're not used to the differences in in treating them, and so these are all factors that um, missionaries have fears to go through. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> that makes sense. So, to sort of to sort of wrap this up into a package, um, if I'm understanding what you're saying. What makes GFF different is your emphasis on the character of the missionary in having yearly table talks uh, with pastors and missionaries regarding the character that you're seeing, but also having a care director who can directly communicate with these missionaries in a uh, disarming environment to let them tell their story. And all of this is for the purpose of hopefully extending the longevity of the missionary on the field. So with, and I don't, I guess I should have asked beforehand how long GFF has been around. Um, so, so, so two questions regarding all of this. Uh, one, first question, do you feel like you have enough longitudinal information or data at this point to see that what you're doing, your approach has increased the longevity of missionaries. And and kind of related to that is, do you think that there are cases in the past that an approach like yours would have kept a missionary on the field? Well, there's no question that uh, a a proactive rather than a reactive uh, missionary Mm -hmm. care approach would keep vast numbers of missionaries on the field serving more effectively, serving more maturely uh, in a long-term ministry that could have made the difference in the continued growth and evangelistic fervor in those places, but it was not able to. Um, I would say that there is enough uh, information available for me because before I came back to the United States to be the director of our agency, we spent 13 years on the field. If we had not been visited by Brother Chris Lupino, our missionary care director, who was at that time uh, a pastor of a church in Florida, one of our supporting churches, he had visited us numerous times on the field not for the purpose of missionary care, but for the purpose of fellowshipping with us, learning more about the ministry, and then teaching nationals in, a, in, in an institute. And the time that we spent across the dinner table with him, my wife and I, mm-hmm. allowed us to open up with him 
in the same manner in which he is now developed into a ministry that's made available through GFF. Now, GFF has been in existence since 1935. So we're talking about uh, pre-World War II. Wow. Uh, and it was started in the country of Kenya, uh, which was the country which was targeted by missionaries who had already been serving for decades in countries like Sudan, Ethiopia, uh, who had left their mission boards because they believed that they were going in the direction of liberalism, and then they wanted to recapture a conservative uh, mission and uh, idea and re and start one like that, and so that you know launched out into other countries. But our heart has always been unreached and underreached people groups that the gospel is either falsified or filtered out by their people, their governments, their tribal leaders, or they're just so remote that the gospel in any form has never uh, been able to reach their ears. And so the need hmm. for such type of, of more proactive missionary care is very important uh, because of the reclusiveness of these locations. Do you, uh, sorry, do you have a question, Daniel? Do you want to go ahead with yours? Uh, go ahead, and then I'll, I'll transition us into the after show. Okay. I was going to ask, you know, what your thoughts are on uh, the United States. Um, and I know, of course, as a missions agency, you're predominantly focused on <clears throat> uh, overseas missions work. But do you do you wonder sometimes if we're getting to, or have been, I should say, in a time period in America... <laughs> where there are mission fields in America that are vastly different from where a lot of our sending churches tend to be. And is there perhaps a need for an approach similar to your missions agency for church planters going out in the United States? So that's a loaded question, uh, and I love it, and I'm glad to answer it as simply as I can, but not as in-depth as I would like to. Um, it's there is a there is a saying uh, that I don't know who or has originated it, but it says something like hard times uh, create uh, create good men. Good men create easy times. Easy times create uh, soft men. Weak men or weak men. Right. Yeah. So. I would tend to be of the opinion that that is almost on the, on the mark, but not quite on the mark, because I believe that hard times reveal the character of the man uh, himself. Uh, mm -hmm. But also, easy times reflect the character of a man. So if the character is, uh, is characterized, I don't mean to be redundant, with a spirit that is uh, full of conviction and passion, then regardless of the times, whether they're easy or hard, then they do the hard work of biblical evangelism and biblical missions the way that the Bible calls for it, and that is surrender, submission, self-sacrifice, and service for the purpose of bringing hard-hearted men uh, to the cross of Christ. So I have noticed that there is a trend in United States church planting that, uh, that church planters tend to spend two to six years on deputation to raise support to go to an area in order to plant a church so that they don't have to uh, get a job in that location and then through that job begin to build a ministry. Uh, and that has is more of a new occurrence uh, where you wouldn't necessarily find that 20 or 40 years ago. 
you would find church planters going to a location, and if it were at all possible to uh, get employment in that location rather than waiting to go two to six years mm-hmm. later after getting all the money, they target that today and they and they uh, put roots down in that location and they evangelize uh, in the way that uh, helps them to grow in their faith while also helping other people to come to faith. And when they are free to visit people evangelistically because of having a job, then the people in their target location, those are times when they are typically free as well. Uh, To give you an example of that, I have an evangelist friend who planted a church in northern New York, and Brother Hayflin um, targeted an area where the community was known for workers to get up and go to work uh, at five in the morning. And so they would be free from about three o'clock in the morning to five, five thirty in the morning when they're just sitting around having coffee, having breakfast. Uh, and then they go off to work around five thirty, and then they work uh, 12 hour shifts and they're not much good for talking when they come home. But their fellowship time around the family was between three and five thirty. So he and, and, and a partner uh, would go to people's homes and uh, visit them around 3, 3.30 in the morning. And they normally were received into the home uh, because they were, they were, that was their time of activity and fellowship. And he won a lot of people to the Lord and was able to plant a church that way. And so uh, if he were to have spent you know, four, six years in raising support from all over the United States and then targeting that that area, he would be four to six years later uh, than someone who would have done it right away and have had more converts. And let me tell you another aspect of this. We find in Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where he teaches that ministers are to minister to their target people spiritually and then reap from them carnally. That is the financial ability in order to to, to eat, to live, to lead about a wife, to use Paul's uh, language there. But that creates an accountability and an appreciation between the minister and the people to whom he is ministering directly a reliance, or what we used to call an independence. And so when you bring in an aspect where 50 churches from far-flinging communities are now paying the monthly support of a pastor planting a church in a community uh, in another state, then that church planter is not relying on on his labor, whether he's worthy of a double reward or not, again, to use Paul's language, and he's not relying on the effectualness of his ministry uh, to people who are, being, uh, who are being fruit of his ministry in order to be able to live. Instead, he's got a sure paycheck from people to whom he's releasing all of his information to, and they are reading it in a letter or, or, or maybe on a, on a blog or a vlog, and they are disconnected from that ministry. And so it changes the accountability of the people to whom you are directly ministering to, to a people who is outside of that ministry, I would say in an extra biblical way, and in doing so, you control all of the information that's being released to them. You could paint it however you want to paint it in order to make sure that that money keeps coming in. And I'm not calling necessarily the character of church planters in the United States in the question. It just puts them into a dynamic that is different than what I believe the the Bible has um, scripted us to take. 
There's there's more we could ask there and several questions that pop up as you're talking, but we're going for our listeners, we're going to need to transition now into the after show. And one of the questions I'd like to ask is uh was our original question <laughs> that we asked at the outset is uh what it what it means to misreach a field. Uh but one other question I have uh before we transition over there um is do you ever determine through uh, counseling with missionaries, their responses to difficulty and to grief. Do you ever determine through that that someone actually was not called? Um, and uh, and then how do you handle a situation like that? So much good information that we've he- heard here from uh, Brother Rodney Meyer and Director of um, Gospel Furthering Fellowship which has been around for several decades now, uh, coming on 90 years, I believe. Not that he's been the director the whole time, but uh, he did talk about (laughs) age and experience. (laughs) No, but we sure appreciate it. And uh, listeners, uh, as always, uh, we ask you for your feedback, reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. If there's a question about anything that you're just thinking about and you'd like us to bat it around, uh, feel free to send it our way. But maybe it's something to do with missions or a a follow-up to something that's been said uh, in in this podcast, and you'd like some uh, our thoughts on it, or we could maybe even uh, bounce it off, Brother Rodney, again, and get uh, some clarification. But feel free to send it our way at reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, so we will have contact information for Gospel Furthering Fellowship in the show notes to this podcast. So whatever device you're listening on, if you can see a summary or description below the play button there, uh, you should be able to find all the information you need to get in uh, contact with uh, Brother Myers there at uh, Gospel Furthering Fellowship. Again, thank you to Brother Rodney for being with us on this episode. We're going to move over into the after show now for you elite patrons and have a brief conversation with him over there. Uh, Until next time, we are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together.